the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 322. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Lillian Grace. And Rod Drury. Hello. Hello. Hi. Well, welcome along to both of you. Uh, it's been a little while since we last... Uh, I know, last year sometime. ...caught up. Um, so, Lillian, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this world of technology in New Zealand. Yes. So, I'm the founder and CEO of Figure NZ, and we're all about taking all of New Zealand's data that's spread around uh, hundreds of different websites and making it usable for everyone, so that you know um, from trivial things like how many Labradors there are in New Zealand which are 43,000, to more important things about how some of our communities are performing all through the use of numbers. That's very cool. And Rod? Yeah, so I'm basically a champion of Figured. I was was there um, for a coffee just when Lillian was thinking about it and thought, "What what a wonderful idea and so proud to see what she's done over the last few years. And also um, do a accounting software thing called Zero. <laughs> just, this, just this little thing called Zero, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let, let's jump into uh, to the topics of the week. Um, first up, now Uber has been in the use in the news um, following a blog post uh, over the weekend by uh, an employee who just finished up there a, a, a few weeks ago, uh, Susan Fowler, and. It sounds like that there have been some horrible issues going on, uh, certainly within engineering areas of uh, of Uber, and uh, yeah, she she's um, you know highlighted quite a number of of issues as far as sexual discrimination is concerned, uh, and uh, the whole thing has just kind of gone nuts online and social media over the last uh, last couple of days. Yeah, it's interesting. It literally was yesterday, I think, that it came online and and it's great that it's getting a lot of attention, I think. And it's important, though, to remember it's not just an isolated incident. There's, I mean, I know lots of people in New Zealand who have had similar problems and it's really hard for people to share and especially um, when they don't know what kind of backlash they're going to get. And of course it's hard for different companies and their reputations into you know, how it all fits together and, um, and when people can just say whatever they, they want. But it's... I don't know. It's it, like there's there's some big things at play here in terms of how women, especially, and other and others are treated in the workplace. And lots of people are talking about like, is it delete Uber? Has that been the hashtag that's that's going around? And uh, for many, it's been the final straw of actually just get rid of it. I think that's that's one step. And there are other steps of saying what's actually happening in our own workplaces and not assuming that that they're, assuming that it is happening rather than assuming that it's not and thinking about what we can do about it. Um, like things like going online and looking at what the, the site projectinclude.org has in terms of like specific actions people can take um, and like trying to prevent rather than just react. Rod, do you think there's any sort of downsides of this type of situation uh, where you know somebody jumps on and and uh, you know I guess highlights something through uh, through a blog blog post? I mean, in this case, it seems to uh, gonna ha- it looks like it's going to have some really good implications. Uh, but I guess in a situation if there were uh, false accusations, um, that could make it a little bit difficult for an organisation, couldn't it? Uh, yeah, it could. But but I think the first thing is, I mean, this was an absolutely awful thing. And I think all of us were shocked that a fairly modern company 
are like Uber, which have, have access to all of the systems. There's lots of people from you know all sorts of backgrounds and larger companies that are in there. To, so to have something as blatant as this that had been going on without senior management knowing, you know, it's pretty bad. And I think that's a real surprise. And it's it's fascinating. Some of these sort of large companies just aren't values-based businesses. You know, we've seen it with lots of of uh, business behaviour, and I think why that's that's why it's it has blown up because um, you know we've seen lots of incidents over the last two or three years where you question the values of companies uh, like Uber. So, so I think from a management point of view, you know, ensuring you've got pathways for this information to surface. Uh, we use a tool called Office Vibe. So, if there are things going on inside the business, we know that um, any staff can anonymously sort of raise issues and. Things that do happen within the business do tend to come through, um, and it's and it's a really good way to just keep your pulse on things. So, and 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 often you you hear the things which are fantastic in the business as well. But this concept of reputation management, you know, with um, sites like Glassdoor, where employees can go and have a bit of a vent, and um, you know, sometimes it's pretty brutal when you go through and have a look at those mm-hmm. things, you know. All businesses now need to be aware that there are direct uh, pathways for customers and for staff to get these very strong messages out and be thinking about how they manage that. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's good that you've got some uh, you've got a tool there internally. So tell us a little bit about what you're using to do that to get that feedback. Uh, so yes, Office Five is something which sort of sends an email out each week, and uh, you know there's sort of questions and themes, so we can sort of. Uh, measure the pulse of what's going on, but also also allows very uh, direct feedback. So where we do see that there's people issues, that tends to come through fairly clear. And we've really invested in our our people experience. You know, my my view is the order you should be concerning about things is first your internal staff, then your customers, then your shareholders, and you look after those things. And so so we've you know we put in a fantastic uh, chief people officer last year. And she's done a done a great job of getting our people experience functions right into the core business. And um, so, so again, we've got really good pathways. You know, one of the um, sad, saddest things I've had to deal with over the last year uh, was the death of three staff, and um, uh, which was incredibly hard for all of us. It's the first time that we've had to deal with those issues, and we saw the investment we've made in our people experience team. Um, you know, uh, are really swinging quickly. They didn't need to ask questions. They knew the values of the business, and they had the sort of common sense and the and the frameworks to go through and just do the right thing for all of the extended families. So you know, we do see issues that pop up from time to time, and uh, as long as you've got those pathways for people to communicate, um, uh, you know, back through the core organisation, and you can see these patterns, then. Um, then you can go and and sort of fix these things before they they kind of explode out into a sort of public site like this where you know where it does become trial by media and it's great that this has come out because it's so bad but I think all businesses need to make sure you know this is part of their risk management strategy and you really have to be looking after your staff. Totally, and even you know proactively thinking of what are the mechanisms that people can use and how can we even just ask our teams 
you know, how they're doing in a way that um, really encourages them to share before things become um, become bad is important. Like with our team, and admittedly I have a very tiny, um, amazing team, um, but like I try and meet with people individually and just like away from any lists or action items just to understand how they're doing and if there are any, and literally ask the question, is there anything that I specifically can do to make your life better, um, which is fine at a team my size. But we also implement things, and um, so we use Slack as at the really heart of of what we of how we communicate and we have um we use like the we create like a razor paddle is what we use it's drawing from a, a paddleboarding incident i had when i was in, in maui and when i needed to raise a paddle to get help but it's um we've created a a way that's a normal way of saying i'm not comfortable or something and it's started i mean it's hard so you still have to be brave enough to raise a paddle um but I th- I think the like people know to take it seriously and to and how to react when you see a pedal because you know it's not just like a little quip it's actually someone saying I'm uncomfortable and um and that's been working really well for us. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, I hope you know what what comes of this particular situation is it it sends a, a broader messages to businesses that they need to change you know their thinking. And you can't wait for something like this to happen. You actually need to put the right systems in place, right? Yeah, it's just totally unacceptable. And um, and I just so um, proud of the person that spoke up because that would have been really hard. And you have no idea how much her life is going to be, you know, affected now. But I think it was really, really brave. It's also interesting how the standards have changed so much over the last few years. So what was, you know, maybe acceptable 10 years ago, and it may be in our business that, you know, we started with sort of four people in a small apartment and now we must be about 1,650, 1,700 people, is that as you get larger and larger and as you grow, and I think just um, as time has moved on over the last 10 years, things that might have seemed funny in a smaller group and all those things just don't really scale. So I've noticed that, um, you know, certainly as we've grown, we've had to change uh, behavior because, you know, you get a much more diverse group of people and you also have people inside the business that you may not have built those personal relationships up with and things that you may have thought were funny where there's a whole lot of people around a kitchen table and you are very close and you're kind of, you know, pretty pretty much living next to them for a few years really may not be funny when you just don't know those people. So I've seen lots of incidents over the years which does tend, t- tend to think that the standards have absolutely changed as, it, as so much else has changed around us. So I think that's also something that senior people need to um, absolutely think about. Yeah, and I mean, certainly it's great when there's some technology that can come into the picture and, and help with that. And some of it's not just that the, well, the standards have, have changed, but it's also that we've, we've learned to recognize things probably that were, were an issue in the past. Um, but actually it was just the norm for, for things to operate. Yeah, it's probably not that people, yeah, it's probably not that it's new for people to be upset by things and offended by things. It's probably just that, um, there's a bit more support out there when people do, do share now. They're not kind of pushed into the corner and silenced. Yeah. As often. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And it's still like to go on the on the Uber and the tech side of Uber. They did a major update, which is quite interesting. You know, something that is so popular and used by so many people. The interface of it's um, you know fundamentally changed, which was kind of interesting. But it still bugs the hell out of me that 
um, you look at the traditional taxi companies and, you know, we've been talking about Uber as a brand, you know, from not talking about it to the last three years. It's, you know, one of the sort of big five kind of tech companies everyone mentions and still traditional taxi companies have not changed their experience. It's just crazy to me that, you know, you're still waiting with a with a corporate cab to, um, you know, put your credit card in at the end of the journey. And all the attributes which are great about Uber, and I love the convenience, though I may not like the values of the company, um, you would sort of hope that traditional taxi companies would have learned from that and be watching that. I just do not understand why they haven't moved. Neither. It just drives you absolutely nuts. That, that pain point of, A, not knowing where your car is that yeah, you know, like what time it will get there, um, not being able to track it, and also just waiting around to pay when there's cars backing up behind you. Like those are such big pain points. It seems crazy that your run's not following. I'll say it again. I've said it before. I think that if the taxi, the companies that own, or the the taxi companies were to get together on a, and I don't know how practical this would be, but if you imagine they got together en masse globally that they could actually uh, compete. But individually, I think it's always going to be incredibly difficult to compete against Uber because they've just they've got so much power and so much might. But if if the companies don't get together, then I don't think there'll be much left of uh, most of them in another ten years. Yeah, I also think Uber's too cheap. Like all of us, I think in uh, New Zealand, one of the things I've really learned as we've sort of moved moved and expanded, we we have this absolute um, characteristic and value of equality. And for us, I think we feel very uncomfortable if we're, you know, if you get into a cab and we know that it's completely unsustainable. Yeah. So, you know, whereas their their marketplace for their drivers kind of rewards or um, they get the benefit of the person most almost most desperate to do, do the jobs it might be a, a part time worker. So it's really hard to build a full time uh, uh, career. You know, I I just don't understand that as well. Again, in a values-driven business, you'd build a sustainable model for both parties. And I think especially in New Zealand, we struggle with that. We would rather, um, you know, I, I don't need the taxi to be cheaper. What I need is, um, is, is to not worry about being paid. You know, as soon as you walk out the door, the, um, you know, the receipt should flow right into your expense claim system. Um, and, you know, which is such an easy thing to do. And I've got now... Uh, Uber and Expensify all connected together, and I'll vote for that convenience, uh, though it just frustrates me, as we've said, that the other taxi companies aren't doing this sort of stuff. Yep. Um, now, on to another uh, subject with a big company from uh, San Francisco area, uh, Google, with their Google Loon. Now, this this um, whole project, which started up, I don't know how many years ago now it was, um, be at least three, and it was New Zealand where the uh, the first trials were of, of Google Loon. And just as a little reminder, so... The initial concept from Google was this idea of of floating these big balloons up, um, you know, very high up, sort of 30 kilometers or so um, up, and having them basically move around the planet to provide uh, internet connectivity to particularly to areas where there wasn't already good coverage. But the concept was that these balloons would move backwards and backwards and forwards. Um, Right around the world now, they've um, they've highlighted now quite a significant uh, change in the original concept, 
And so rather than balloons that might, uh, you know, float around right around the globe and they can they can change what direction the balloons uh, move by moving them up and down to, um, you know, catch the different uh, movements in, uh, at, at, that, uh, at that height. Um, but now they've been able to take it a step further where uh, basically balloons would be able to uh, congregate over particular areas where there is a lack of internet coverage and where they want to provide service, which sounds a whole lot more practical to me. It sounded pretty crazy to have to you know cover the whole planet in these massive balloons. So being able to bring that in and, and you know let's say that there's a particular area of the um, uh, in New Zealand where we found it very hard to get good coverage and they would have say well we we want to uh, we want to cover that area with their uh, basically their mobile connectivity um, then they could uh, they could float you know a bunch of balloons above that particular space to provide coverage you know, of course there's there's probably a, a, a lot more needy places than New Zealand from a uh, a connectivity perspective um, but you know, New Zealand is, is one of those places where we do have some uh, challenges in rural locations to get uh, to get good internet to as well. So um, it'll it'll be interesting to see how this goes. But it seems like good progress, and if they can uh, they can pull it off, um, it'll be pretty handy. And, and this seems certainly like a step closer to them uh, being able to actually make this work commercially. Yeah, it's a really interesting example of. Of the synchronization of a bunch of machines, and I love the kind of maths and the software which can control where a balloon goes based on heights and wind. That's pretty exciting. But the other big example of that was uh, the Super Bowl. Was at Lady Gaga or Beyonce or whoever that had uh, the drones, the synchronized drones. This idea of the collective intelligence of a whole bunch of smaller, low-cost things working together is fundamentally interesting. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool, and um, I mean, I guess we're we're just at the beginning of seeing what the what the practicalities of these things are. I mean, drones are, are still. You know, we've seen a few examples of that where we get you know a big formation of of drones flying together, but uh, you know maybe that will be as as commonplace as uh, you know for the next generation as what it was for us to see fireworks and so on when when mm. we were growing up. Um, I found it interesting that, um, like the loon balloons, I haven't don't really hear much of them in New Zealand, even though they've been here for a while. Uh, I remember hearing about them a few years ago, and then there's there hasn't doesn't seem to be like an ongoing kind of commentary on the kinds of things that are being tested. So it was interesting to see it surface again recently, and that they're still kind of developing. Um, I'm fascinated by how they deal with things around um, like airspace and where they're allowed to go if they're moving around um, to do with the wind and they're trying to relocate and things like that and what that means for travelling through different countries or zones um, with their balloons Um, because I don't think they've kind of mentioned how they do that. Does anyone have an idea what's going on there? It makes no sense to me. I don't understand why they don't all kind of bunch together and you keep launching them and then they all end up in exactly the same spot. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some smart stuff going on to make it happen, and I mean, I think in New Zealand, they definitely had to jump through some some hoops to be able to uh, to get permission to uh, you know do the testing that they've done, and I'm not sure how active 
they are, if at all, uh, currently. I know they had established a relationship with uh, with Vodafone, uh, so they were able to somehow tie into Vodafone's uh, mobile networks, I think, when they uh, mm. have done testing here uh, previously. But the, the height at which the balloons are is um, considerably higher than, um, than, than what our planes are flying. But, of course, you've got risks of these things falling out of the sky and so on, and, and that, that stuff certainly does... Uh, Happen so there's there's a few challenges there and yeah in terms of implications when they uh, move over maybe areas that are uh, war zones and and um, so on or uh, uh, areas that don't want people spying on them there's you know thoughts yeah, totally. thoughts around that and well if you're putting a balloon up there wouldn't these things actually be quite good for getting aerial footage compared to uh, satellites that are that are so much higher up yeah. so um, yeah, yeah there's some it's quite uh, quite fascinating. So, and, and yeah, I, yeah, I, I, sorry, I've sort of been kind of looking for the future of future of transport being flying cars, but maybe it's going to be much more like uh, the movie Up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for those of you that can't see the picture that we're looking at, so the balloons are about forty feet tall, and they kind of lay them lay them all out to 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 look to see how any damage kind of occurs. And when they do it, they all wear shark slippers for some reason. So they don't damage the balloon. It's interesting. Is there a uh, website to buy those shark slippers? Well, it just—I just don't know. <laughs> um, now, there's a uh, a company that um, most of us probably heard of, Amazon. Um, they have been doing incredibly well as as the the um, the market leaders and those that have that have really. Uh, led as far as uh, cloud services and um, AWS uh, is just I just got a press release through today um, and uh, Orion Health have been working together and uh, Orion Health are, uh, have highlighted that they're in the process of basically uh, migrating uh, the patient records that are in their uh, that are in their system 110 million uh, patients globally across to uh, uh, to AWS, so this is a, a, another significant win for uh, for AWS. Now, Rod, um, you've gone through this process with Zero, right? You've uh, you've moved from uh, was it Rackspace that you were working with previously um, to where most of your data now sits uh, within uh, Amazon's cloud. Uh, yeah, that's right. So we saw about three years ago that um, the investment that and the arms race that was going on between Google. Amazon and Microsoft meant that it was that the public cloud was becoming quite compelling. Um, so if you want to have the best cost to serve, the best infrastructure, the best content distribution network, all of those sort of things started to make sense. So we had this sort of creeping thing growing up of, oh my God, we're going to have to go through a full platform change, which is pretty traumatic as you would think. But the really the main reason was, you know, in the last 12 months, we've processed 1.2 trillion, it's a T word, of financial data, and that's sitting in nice uh, relational databases. And if you want to start doing artificial intelligence, machine learning, where we can go and look for patterns and see if we can do accounting transactions more accurately than um, a person would do who's not an experienced bookkeeper or accountant, you need to have that transactional data next to all of the innovation that's happening with big data and machine learning, AI, and all of those things. So, so, so the opposite was if we were sitting inside Rackspace, and uh, the Rackspace, well, the, so what that means is we essentially buy every server, and you know might be on 
a monthly lease, but effectively those are your servers. And if you were thinking about doing machine learning or AI, you'd say, okay, well, let's do some research around what types of, of engines should we need. So how many servers? I don't know. Maybe it's 200. So you go and buy all of those, and after th three to six months, they're all configured. Then you start playing with it, and things don't really work out under scale. Whereas in the Amazon environment, we can just start to turn those things on, which, which we have been doing. Um, so for us, as you start moving from transactional computing to the next wave of online and machine learning, you really need to be in those clouds. And um, the, the, the keynote that um, Andy Jassy and, and Werner from AWS did in Las Vegas in November, I mean, oh my God, the amount of stuff that they're doing and the way that we're rethinking computer models without servers, just uh, I think we're going to see... Um, innovation go nuts over the next two to three years. We'll see more progress in the next two to three years, certainly in the business application space, than we've seen in the last 10. So for us, you just have to be on the platform. And obviously, Orion had uh, worked that out as well. Yeah. Um, Lillian, what do you use in terms of technologies? Well, we have uh, the advantage of, you know, when you're a, a recent um, organisation, you usually are on the latest technology. So we've been on AWS for a couple of years now. Mm. And so I don't even really think about it. <laughs> it just works well for what we need it to do. Um, yeah, but it's it's amazing, actually, that the organisations that have been around for a long time tend to end up being at quite a disadvantage because they're on, on older tech. And I, I'm sure we'll find that in the next few years as well. Mm. It's also creating a really interesting. Um, it's creating really interesting opportunities around the brand of technology in New Zealand because there's a few companies like us, Orion. There's a lot of activity happening here in AWS, and because we've moved quickly onto the platform, and these platforms are truly global, the kind of pitch we have is you can be doing world class work in New Zealand, but um, uh, but have all the benefits of the lifestyle here. And, you know, all the training videos are online. You can fly out to the conferences if you need to. And it feels like it's really flat in the world in terms of technology. So, you know, before you'd have to travel overseas to work for these big companies, now you can do absolutely world-class work here. And I think because, you know, we don't, we're not, you know, massively old companies with deep layers of management that the technology teams need to convince management we need to do this big platform change. We're still very founder-led, and so we're urgently moving onto these platforms. I think we actually have probably some of the best computing opportunities. You know, we've just uh, had a team. We had a team at the AWS conference. Most of the big New Zealand tech companies were there. NZTE and immigration were there, and we had something like over 500 um Applicants wanting to uh, to you know start a conversation about moving here. So we've got a few now that have been down through the interview process. We're just hiring our first people out of that process, and, and we're up in up at uh, our developer week last week as well. Again, same sort of interest. So the brand of New Zealand technology on these global platforms is super exciting. Yeah, that's it. Is, I guess it it is something that uh, flattens the world a lot for us, doesn't it? Compared to uh, where we, where we were a few years ago, and uh, I've got to say we've got a lot of very um, very talented uh, technologists here that are that are doing um, you know great things that are right out on the on the cutting edge. Now, what else have we got to talk about? Um, I guess we were talking about Uber earlier. Um, just in the last uh, last few days, we've heard that um, 
GM, uh, General Motors and Lyft, and Lyft is really Uber's uh, biggest competitor, uh, certainly in the US, that's uh, uh, that's where people have been moving when they've been deleting the Uber app. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I think we mentioned it a week, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, uh, how how Lyft did uh, for the first time uh, been higher in the um, uh, in the charts as far as popular apps uh, than than Uber. Um, so what we've uh, what we've heard through uh, is that GM and uh, and Lyft, who had already established a, uh, a partnership, are expecting um, to be testing at quite some scale uh, next year autonomous uh, vehicles on the streets. So they're talking about thousands of self-driving uh, cars. That's certainly um, uh, what what's being reported anyway uh, from from Reuters. So that will be uh, that'll be cu- pretty curious in terms of uh, disruption and and changing things. I mean, if we're not uh, not comfortable with how drivers of some of these services are paid today, um, you know, we're we're looking to a, a scenario where there aren't going to be uh, so many people driving, and uh, it looks to be moving along a lot quicker, certainly than than a lot of you know, common predictions as to how soon we would get to uh, autonomous vehicles. Have either of you been in a driverless car? Not. I've been. Hmm. No, I haven't. Have you, Rod? Um, I've been in a in a Tesla Model X, and I've driven it with my hands off the wheel. It was pretty interesting. I don't understand why they don't put a wire down the middle of the road. Like, um, you know, the the places they go uh, are fairly well defined. So I like that they've got this amazing vision systems and all those sort of things going on. But um, to me, like having actually knowing exactly where the road is and having it mapped out explicitly so the vehicle's always homed in would give me a sense of comfort. One of the interesting things, I just love that Elon Musk drives strategy in plain sight. Like I was uh, confused as to why, you know, when they were fairly cash-strapped, he was rolling out the supercharger network, not just right across the U.S., but but across uh, Europe as well. And, And everyone thought the reason was... Um, so that it would take away the just that emotional risk of I can't take my car over there. But the reality is 99.99% of any kind of um, sort of car's day would be uh, returned to home. So you'd go out well within your range. And if it was sort of at the edge, you'd charge up at, you know, some, somewhere at work if you're, a, if you're a tech worker in the US, but then you'd end up back at home. And that just didn't make sense that he was doing this expensive network for that, you know, point. 0.001% of journeys in an electric car that would be cross-country. But then they announced that they were doing Google Trucks. And I was like, oh, sorry, doing um, uh, uh, trucks. And effectively, what uh, Tesla have done is basically build a distribution network, which puts them much closer to Amazon and their distribution business and what Uber's doing. So I didn't connect the dots until they announced that they were doing trucks. And it was like, how clever that they've um, rolled out the infrastructure for distribution, you know, these power stations, these, um, the, this, the supercharger network uh, completely in, in uh, plain sight. So what that is kind of demonstrating and why the sort of GM and Lyft deal is kind of interesting is that everyone needs to re- rethink their business model. So GM is saying, yes, we manu- manufacture cars, but we need to be in the vehicles as a service business as well. And if you think what an electric car is, it's basically a skateboard with battery technology, some electric motors that's all driven through software, 
and the car brand effectively becomes the aluminium or plastic pressings that sit on the top um, and some software. So this, uh, I think this car world's changing incredibly uh, quickly and um, it's got, you know, again, just another fascinating thing to watch. Yeah, one of the things I find interesting is how they all still look like cars that we're used to seeing and that the actual visual design, even though they're getting refined and some are quite beautiful and stuff, they are not actually fundamentally rethinking what they look like. I mean, because I think they all still have four doors or whatever with seats facing in the same way uh, and structured like cars that we're used to. And I wonder if it's just a way of easing us into it so we don't freak out when these kind of, um, I don't know, cocoon <laughs> kind of things are on the road. Or something. It's um, yeah, it's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does seem that they've got they look very familiar. And I mean, we have seen one or two variants that are that are uh, a little bit different. And you know, Mercedes showed off their one with seats that would swivel around, so you didn't have to be facing forward, and it was a bit more sort of uh, um, you know lounge or cafe sort of style mm. um, inside. But but still. The, the exterior still looks like something that's yeah. quite familiar. And, I mean, we've seen with Tesla, they've, uh, they've started getting rid of the grill at the front, which is, you know, is something to do with cooling uh, the internal combustion engine so it's not needed in an electric vehicle anymore. We're slowly starting to see those changes. But, yeah, it does seem to be it's a, it's a comfort thing that if it, if it looked too too different and too freaky, uh, maybe that would, uh, would put, put yeah, people Yeah, I don't know off. when we're going to get, like, sun lounger-style car. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Um, it's interesting. I went through the exercise twice trying to buy a Tesla Model X, and because um, because uh, uh, Elon originally tweeted you could buy them, but effectively it was we were set up as a state of Australia, and when you went through the process, you still had to take delivery in Australia and get it here. And with the issues that were happening around the doors, that seemed a bit early. And then earlier or very uh, late last year, they announced you could order properly off the uh, New Zealand site. So I priced up a fully loaded Tesla Model X. And it came to about 270 grand Kiwi. And the um, if you compare that to like the new sporty Audi Q7, that's something like 170 grand loaded. It's probably like 200 grand. And I think the pricing's way out. I don't know if we're just getting, um, you know, global pricing and all of the tax means that it just doesn't make sense. But I would have hoped that the Tesla Model X was sort of under 200 grand and that, that then would make it competitive to the cars that are in the market. So I think sort of 2019 looks like when it all starts to happen, you've got um, Mercedes, BMW, Porsche all um, are really coming on board with their full electric cars. And if anything good happened out of the sort of VW Audi emission crisis, it's mm. accelerated all of their R&D. So it's going to be super interesting. And, and with New Zealand being 90% plus uh, renewables and long skinny country is not great for um, – telecommunications network but fantastic for uh electricity networks um we're in quite a quite a good space so i really hope we do more and you know hopefully the next time the uh, the government fleet comes up they'll you know do half of them as electric vehicles and start getting moving on the strategy yeah it does uh, it does seem to make a lot of sense to be moving in in this direction um i mean conveniently that there are there are lower cost uh uh, Teslas. So, um, so have you not ordered? You haven't gone with a Tesla at all, Rod? Is it off your no, shopping I've list actually, for now? Yeah, I was really wanted a Model X, and if it was sort of under two hundred, then you know I could. You know, I mean that's a huge amount of money still, but two seventy was too much. 
compared to what you could buy. I'm really excited. I mean, I love cars. I'm really excited about the Porsche uh, Mission E. That looks really, mm. really cool. So um, I think uh, probably the window for Tesla has kind of happened and really looking forward to seeing what Audi and uh, Porsche do over the over the next couple of years. Yeah, I guess that I mean the bit for me that I like about uh, well, you know, one of the one of the things I like about Tesla uh, is that their their cars are, are much like a, a cloud app like Zero, that sort of continuous updating that goes on behind the scenes. And I guess from my interactions with most of the uh, auto companies, is that they um, they they're, they're struggling to get to that point. So you know, you get their product, and they're they're already lining up to sell you another model uh, that they've been that's been in development for for you know five years or something. Um, you know, when you get it, whereas you know Tesla seem, seems pretty happy to look after uh, existing customers for, for you know for quite some time with those uh, those continuous updates, and you know they, they seem to be quite forward thinking in terms of you know selling you some capability today in terms of hardware um, with and and maybe this is a little bit scary, um, but you know with the promise that you will get some. Uh, increased capability further down the track with software updates, but it's also nice to know that's coming. Mm. I'm so glad you said that. It just bugs Mm -hmm. the hell out of me again Mm -hmm. that the cars don't update, so little glitches in the UI and um, and all those things, you'd think, oh, that'll get done by version, you know, three or four, they'll fix that, but, you you know, they never update their software. It's just crazy. I'm really interested in what's going to happen with car ownership rates as well. Like I haven't had a car for maybe eight years now, and I can't imagine that I'll ever buy one. Um, but I know that I was really unusual when I first started. Um, it just, yeah, it's just worked so well, especially living right in the city. But New Zealand's different, like in that it's so um, so spread out, and we've always we've got more cars than a lot of countries per capita. Be interesting to see how that changes. Yeah, I'm I'm convinced that that will that'll definitely. Change. I mean, you know, especially for those that aren't aren't too far from a city, and you know, I guess there, there's so many different scenarios in terms of how how that might change. I mean, I I think of uh, you know, for instance, when um, you know when we have some autonomous vehicles, and you know, for me, I'm thinking that will be the Tesla uh, Model Three. Um, that once those are on the road, you know, Tesla and there'll, there'll be other ways of doing it, but, you know, a car sharing model, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be happier on my commute to work, uh, if I was driving past somebody's front door that wanted a lift for them to jump into the vehicle. And I'm sure we'll have the apps that do that. And then I'm able to take the mass transit lane and not, uh, not have to queue up for, uh, uh, for the motorway and so on. So, you know, I think there will be, um, there'll be, there'll be quite a transition, but how long these things take, um, I think that stuff's pretty hard to hard to predict. And yeah, and it's not showing up on the data at all. I'm actually just looking on Figure NZ, um, looking at uh, how many cars are licensed in New Zealand. Uh, it's about 2.6 million, and, and it's still going up every year. And actually, there was quite a big jump um, between 2015 and 2016. So it, there's, no, there's no showing that that's slowing down at all. Yeah, whereas, I mean, I think the impact of it, I mean, I would think within... Uh, well, yeah, that, that's the that's the challenge. How how soon? But maybe you know, maybe five years that we'll start we'll start to see um, the the beginning of those uh, those changes. What do you think, Rod? I just think that uh, that was masterful 
uh, from Lillian working that in there. Well done. Um, Why, thank you. She's always got yeah. the data on hand. Yeah, I mean, I'm, this is like, you know, putting a stake in my heart because I completely love cars. But then you go, the thing, why would you have one? They get used like less than 3% of the time. They sit there taking space that you've got to pay for. You have to insure them. So I think for young people coming up that had, didn't have that sort of growing up in the 70s, uh, 80s kind of love of cars, they're just not a logical thing. So, um, you know, it's, it, you know, it'll be really enjoyable, hopefully, the rest of my life to still have a few exciting petrol cars there. But I think the, the you know, we should see the whole kind of transport network flip. And again, these are some big ideas that we can do in New Zealand. We should have a 10-year flip the fleet strategy and see if we can really move the needle. But that requires uh, some leadership. What, what fascinates me is as you travel more and more, quite a lot of the world are concerned about food and water. And, um, of course, those are, you know, if we are, are harvesting water, generating a sustainable electricity, and then passing that water into food systems, it feels like there's a really, some, some kind of nice joined up thinking there that could move uh, New Zealand forward. And, uh, you know, I think it's the, you know, maybe, maybe it would be me in five or ten years, but I'd love to see somebody emerge in New Zealand that really li- uh, that really drives this transition. You know, most big transitions need change, and what a great opportunity for someone to step up and and really evangelise a flip the fleet strategy. It should be one of our really big ideas that we're working on. Mm. I just got distracted by some more data. How many cars do you think are in Hawke's Bay, Rod? Well, if you take mine out, um, <laughs> I don't know, I've got no idea. <laughs> 115,000. That's crazy. And what's the population? Is it like 143 or 153,000? I can't remember something around that. Mm. Is that right? You're the data um, girl. Well, I know. I just <laughs> yeah. the Hawks. Oh, I guess I'm a Hawksway person too. Um, one of the things with data, you don't always have to. You don't always have to know. <laughs> no, no. Well, that's a nice thing. Yeah, you can uh, you can look it up. Um, all right, so. On to other sort of disruptive topics. Um, Bill Gates has been speaking about a future where robots are doing a lot of work that would be done by you and I in the future. And he has commented on the idea of a robot tax. The idea that robots get taxed almost like an individual would so you think of a robot that maybe does um, uh, $50,000 worth of work in a, a factory that it gets taxed the equivalent of what a person would do in that uh, that role. Any any thoughts on this, Rod? Yeah, yeah, it's actually really interesting. When I saw this, it was like, oh, I get where he's coming from. So if you play things out, if you think AI, machine learning, robots take jobs away. And I think we've seen that actually does happen. And part of the issues that are going on in the U.S. is that a whole lot of manufacturing jobs that used to exist just don't exist anymore. So, and then you also look at the, you know, what's happening in this kind of global tax stuff with, you know, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, Google, how they shift tax around. Um, so if you kind of put those things together, you can imagine that you see this almost perfect market where a lot of um, – a lot of tax that was paid domestically gets funneled into offshore companies 
and then we need to make sure there's equitable uh, distribution back to where those consumers are, right? And this is a this is an issue which is goes across governments. Not any one government can fix it because the corporate can kind of dance around things. Yeah. So 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 you end up logically maybe thirty fifty years out at this concept of universal basic income. If you've got um, if if suddenly machines and computers are doing all of the work, so that we can all kind of lay back like in uh, the Wally movie on the spaceship or whatever, um, then then effectively you've got this distribution issue of the collection of tax from these global entities back into into local countries. So to me, that's the issue that needs to get fixed. This sort of robot tax is quite an interesting take on it, but I don't think it's the real problem, and it could be part of the solution. But we do have to have the discussion of um, the taxation of multinationals. You know, you look at how much of our discretionary gadget spend and content spend now goes to you know global companies like apple or amazon and those profits you know where which would normally be taxed just aren't so to me that's the big issue that needs to be fixed yeah i mean that's that's been certainly front of mind for me and 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 this whole thing is not so much the you know the taxing of where that money's uh, being saved on on paying uh, traditional employees and moving it into robots, um, yeah, because that is just limited to to one particular area. Um, but it's how these things will be balanced appropriately, as we see. I think uh, probably dramatically more globalization. Um, I don't know if Lillian's got any stats on this sort of stuff yet, but um, um, <laughs> not you know. on that directly. But I found it really interesting that uh, Bill Gates. Some of his comments were around: we need to slow down some of the advances so that people's jobs don't disappear. Because that's a, that's a different problem. That's a that's a that's a big problem. And I think there's two things. So one is we think of um, software and other systems coming in and taking away jobs, and sometimes it's true, and sometimes it's not. So. You know, for the constantly for the, since the data has been collected, um, for example, accounting businesses still still keep increasing each year. So um, zero hasn't suddenly wiped out accountants; it's actually growing. Um, you know, bigger industry in the in the country, and so there are certain areas where people think technology is going to suck away jobs. That actually, it's not. It's not true. We need to understand the types of jobs that it's adding, or if it means that smaller businesses can can be providing services because they've got better tech, rather than it just being in the hands. Of of large companies that that can afford, you know, like big expensive technology. So there's so there's that part of it. So I don't think we need to. I think we need to look at what really can happen and what the opportunities are for enabling other jobs um, as tech advances. But then there definitely are um, big big industries that are totally unaware of what might happen to them and will probably happen to them. So for example, I've been talking talking to some people in the building industry recently and they have no idea about things like 3d printers being able to print houses and i've seen you know videos where uh, one printer can print three oh sorry six houses small ones um but in one day and it does it with precision and can embed um, any wiring or stuff as it goes there's no waste uh, and imagine the world where instead of saying i'm going to build my house you know sometime in the next year or two we say um on the the 3rd of april i'll be building my house and when you talk to people in the industry that literally have no idea that's i think that's the concern and so rather than slowing down like I think the reason the reason he was talking about the tax is to kind of slow down um, automation of of um, operation and stuff and I think there's something bigger to look at is what what does it mean for a country where over the like over our lifetime 
we it will be probably gobsmacking the industries that we see collapse because of because of check that's coming up and we have a couple of options of how we can react to that we can either wait and react and kind of grip onto them as long as we can or collectively as a country my preference would be to go right if we jump on this and jump on it fast then the country can be better if we could be building you know better homes for everyone so let's then figure out how we we start structuring the way that we support people that are in industries that are about to collapse and imagine a world where we knew that every person was like at three times during their life they were probably going to go through a period where the job that they were in disappeared and it was probably going to happen across the board. So then what would we do then to um, to change the way we supported them through that and almost accelerated the way that the tech was moving through and advancing what we can all do? Because we're all trying to get better lives, better health systems, better education and um, better lifestyles. And um, it seems that just slowing down and pretending or trying to not um, let some things happen that could actually have good impacts isn't necessarily the right step. Well, it's pretty pretty hard to slow slow down progress, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I'm not quite sure how that would happen. Um, yeah, but I think we have got some pretty interesting times ahead, and there there are going to be lots of things to to figure out. You know, whether a universal ba- basic income. Um, I mean, that that's I guess the sort of the the current idea at the moment uh, in terms of how we would cater to things. You know, if we get to this this point where there isn't enough work to go around, um, I kind of like the idea, and and it seems to make some sense to me that as we get more automation, um, you know, it should be much easier to produce all the food that's needed for everybody on the planet. That we don't have to have uh, you know an imbalance with parts of the world where people uh, really struggle to get fed. So you know some of these big ongoing challenges that those things are able to be addressed. And yeah, maybe we need we will need to uh, work less, but I don't think you'll be able to force everyone to work less. Yeah, I think one um, of the the problems is that that's the industries that um, you know, like the food industry. If we were able to totally change um, how tech was delivering that. For the world, it's the people that are in the industry that would probably be harmed. I mean, not, not those that own the businesses, but those that work. So the the motive or the incentive isn't there to to change and do themselves out of a job. And so creating um, different incentives and motives to encourage the kind of behaviour that we want, I think, um, could be really important as, as at a societal level. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, there's probably some. So there'll be some interesting things that that we will figure out around how we tax and sort of balance things globally you know i guess um you know commenting back on on uh uh rod's comment about you know the multinationals the global firms that are going to increase in in dominance and so on and i guess you know to a small degree we're already doing that in new zealand with this idea of gsp gst uh you know tax being being charged for those companies who who weren't in the past, and I'd say that there'll, there'll be some, maybe some variations on that sort of model that will allow us to uh, to level things up as the, the Amazons and so on get uh, get more dominant in terms of their impact here. I don't know how you handle all those transactions that sort of fall outside mm. of the big, um, you know, the big companies. Though, what do you do with all these little eBay transactions and so on? But I'm, I'm sure those things can be uh, can be figured out too. Um, other topics. What else have we got going on? AirPods. Uh, AirPods. <laughs> They're just so awesome. You've had yours for a while, Rod, is that right? I'm just thinking how cool they'll be at version two, like black or space grey <laughs> and even lighter. 
they're just they're, so they're great. The coolest thing. But um, they, they don't work as advertised. Like I thought that you'd bounce between your devices, but you've still got even between an Apple device, between your MacBook and your phone, you've got to go and pull the connection back. Whereas there are other products in the market which are kind of connected to all of your devices at the same time. And when I read the marketing material, that's how I thought it would work. But I'm sure they'll fix that with software over the next wee while. But man, not having cables is just such a lovely thing. Yeah, and what's what's kind of surprised me is you think about it in terms of there's no cables around your face or around your head, but the part that's actually most awesome is the fact that you're not connected to your device and you can just walk around with like not holding it, not having it attached to you and um, just, you know, walking around on a call with literally, I know that you could always stuff your device in your pocket and there's been Bluetooth kind of stuff around for ages, but this is my first experience of just being able to have my phone sitting somewhere and kind of forgetting that it's there and just wandering around um, doing whatever. Yeah, and I love that um, when someone comes up to you, you just pull one out of your pull one out of your ear, everything stops, and it's the a natural gesture to saying I'm paying attention to you, and then you put it back in. Yes, it's great. And I see everything starts again. I would Magical. I'd like them to be a little bit more sort of subtle. I don't know about the the white, um, but I don't Space know. Gray. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> cool. yeah. yeah, but is it true that some on some planes you can't use them because they have um, Bluetooth switched off? Have you come across that yet, Rod? I was impressed, actually, that Air New Zealand, before they came out, changed their policy on Bluetooth. Um, I'm not sure why. You'd sort of think it might be six months later and it would be painful, but um, on all, on all the, the Air New Zealand flights, it's fine, and I mainly fly them these days. So. It's good. I find it good also, because I usually, if I'm listening to music, and cause I, you know, I don't carry my phone in my pocket, it usually has to be in my handbag with a long cord, and so it's quite annoying and quite, like, you never know quite if it's going to be torn out of your ear and so um, in particular for someone that doesn't usually carry their device on their person it makes a massive difference yeah I'm sort of excited what happens next I, I, I got a first um, watch uh, and that lasted probably about three weeks before I gave that up the second watch looks quite nice in that it's um, it's waterproof and the lap counter for swimming would be kind of cool but I still can't get kind of get excited about them. When they put a cell phone in a watch, you can kind of see how it works then. Or, you know, a really small phone, if the interface becomes voice, that's that's really interesting. And um, you can kind of see how the future is is kind of happening quite quickly now. Yeah, it's um, it's a, we were just chatting uh, last week around uh, Samsung's Gear Three. And although they haven't confirmed it for New Zealand yet, they've got uh, you know a, a model of it that has the uh, the eSIM, the embedded SIM, and of course it's got Wi-Fi and whatnot in there. So you know, in theory, uh, you might be able to hook that up to um, um, an AirPod or, or or something similar. Although it's not something I've I've investigated. Now, have either of you been using uh, Siri with your AirPods? No, once a little bit. No. Yeah. Um, so I found. What I guess what I was thinking would be the ideal is if you could just um, you know bring Siri into a conversation at any point. So we might be having a conversation in this room, and then you know that I could say, "Hey Siri," and and have it uh, you know, and then you know request something. But um, that only works in certain scenarios. I think you've got to have your phone um, un- unlocked. But I haven't played around with that too much. Uh, so there may be some way to have that listening all the time. Yeah, I've yeah. been I've been um, turning it on so that when I say "Hey Siri," my phone kind of wakes up without having to unlock it. Yeah, 
and it just doesn't yet work for me properly. It still kind of drives me up, um, drives me nuts. Yeah. And um, here's some examples. Um, uh, and just often just says to me, oh, interesting question, Lillian, instead of actually answering. Yeah, mm. and I'll get it, it'll jump into conversations, uh, you know, my phone's there and do, is quite near to me, where it will actually respond, and I'm not, I haven't, I haven't, you know, try to involve it. I haven't said, hey, Siri. Um, it, it, uh, yeah, it just jump, jumps in anyway. So, um, so there, there's still a little bit of work to be done there, but I'm pretty uh, upbeat about what the potential of, you know, personal assistance will be in the future. Oh, totally. I, I think we're only seeing a very, very tiny amount of, uh, of where we'll be and, and not, you know, not too many years away. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I I actually think it's it, it, it's it's not Siri. You know, you look at how Google's moved things to a conversational interface because they've um, basically had a brand and the way they work, they've had full machine learning over all of their data, whereas um, Apple for a couple of years didn't really want to do that and went and sort of pushed themselves down the privacy angle and haven't really delivered integrated cloud services I just think that Google's now had years and years and years to get this stuff right, and you know you almost burst out laughing when you turn, you know, when you jump in the car and your phone says, you know, tries to guess where you're trying to get to. Your iPhone has no idea, whereas you know Google's right almost all the time because they've just got so many more signals. And it was interesting in the last big Apple keynote, they started to talk about this hybrid uh, security model where it was still private, but you got the benefit of the cloud. Well, that just doesn't make sense at all. So um, I I think Google um, uh, are so far ahead on this stuff and that Apple really, you know, there's so much stuff going on in there and, and stuff that's not coming out. They really need to rethink their data strategy. They have a fantastic interface, but they just haven't been executing on the cloud as you would expect someone with that amount of resources has, and they're coming from a long way back. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I find their uh, their navigation to be pretty good because I use it in the uh, in the car, um, you know, pretty pretty regularly with uh, with CarPlay. Um, but yeah, admittedly, I will uh, I will jump to Google Google Maps in a lot of cases just to check a route. But uh, Google Maps, if you're using your iPhone, uh, won't work on CarPlay, so you've got to switch over to uh, an Android phone and, and Android Auto to uh, to make to make that work. So um, yeah, it's, well, wouldn't it um, well, wouldn't it be perfection. fantastic if uh, wouldn't it be great if your iPhone had car mode? So, you know, because it's only on the very latest cars, you get CarPlay, but you've got this big landscape screen. It kind of bugs me that we, I mean, obviously they've done it to keep the automobile manufacturers happy, but it would be much better for the world if um, there was a car mode. So, you know, your, you know, your phone just goes into that and it would work in every car in the world. Yeah, and pretty handy, especially if you know if you if you're traveling and so on, just to have that full capability, regardless of what you're uh, connected to. Um, now, on to what's happening in your world, Rob. Rod, uh, a bit of a bit of an update. Yeah, so you know, lots of stuff in zero. That's pretty exciting. So, um, you know, we're now kind of near the end of the beginning. We've got you know, as I said, 1.2 trillion of data in the last 12 months. So. You know, and we've done this massive AWS migration, so we're really excited about machine learning and AI, and a um, whole lot of products, new products to come out this year, and pretty, pretty feel pretty good about that. Um, at a personal level, building a house at the moment, and 
um, it's fascinating because we've been talking about HomeKit and all of those sort of things. And what I'm trying to build is a dumb smart house. So A I dumb smart to, house. What do you mean? Yeah. So what I mean is basically fiber in into a nice set of switches, network cables, and Wi-Fi, and no intelli- no nothing intelligence in the core. So Sonos for music been playing with sort of cameras and all of those things but and you know you want it so that the garage door opens but without having a big central server just using you know the promise of home kit and putting uh, commodity technologies at the edge and having them all work together and it's so interesting because it feels like you're the first person in the world trying to do this stuff mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know so it's been quite a process of discovery and then, um, you know, even just getting your base Wi-Fi. So now that Apple's not doing airport extremes, which I really liked, um, I played with Google Wi-Fi because I liked the kids' controls and it looked kind of cool. But when I um, when I got th- uh, brought the box on Amazon.com with three of them, they all meshed together. It was a really beautiful setup. But I had one that I needed to do in a playroom that was a that was a long way away from the main house, and I couldn't connect. I couldn't hardwire it in and. And, of course, there's not many people to talk to on the Google stuff. So sort of a week after I gave it away to my neighbor, they came back and said, oh, if you actually get it wireless, then plug it in, it might work. But it wasn't clear. So so I've done a bit of research, and um, Twitter was useful. So going for uh, Ubiquity, and then they've got a whole lot of other products that connect in. So trying to sort of mix and match and then talking to the, the gate guy and the garage person, do you have HomeKit, what's that? Um, so hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get there, but it's certainly not an easy experience. Um, and uh, uh, but but it's actually been quite fun uh, learning and playing with some of these things. But it feels like I'm like a year too early. Yeah, I mean it's um, it has been a bit slower moving probably than what we might have predicted. I think um, I just arrived today uh, here as. Um, one of Yale's um, touchscreen deadbolts, and I've also got there the wireless uh, module that will tie that into uh, more porks uh, systems. So there'll be a few different ways that you could uh, utilize one of these. Um, but I'll be trying that with the with the more pork system, and uh, you know, having the ring doorbell means somebody turns up at the door, it's a friend or a courier or something, um, and I want to let them in. Then I have that option of being able to. Uh, uh, to let them in, and you can do a bunch, you know, a bunch of other smart things there. If you, you know, realise you forgot to lock the door when you leave the house, you'll be able to get in from your phone and and control that. Um, but there, there are lots of little bits and pieces that aren't perfectly connected together at the moment, and uh, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating because you've got to make a little bit of a t- decision in terms of which camp you're going to be in as well, because uh, you know each thing tends to work with 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 one other bit of technology, but not necessarily say with with, uh, with the Apple ecosystem entirely well. Yeah, and uh, some other little things. I've um, uh, pretty excited about Sonos. I got a new CEO, and there was an interview about him in the last week, basically saying he didn't want to compete with um, Alexa and with Google Home. So I think we'll see tight integration with um, Amazon Echo and those sort of voice services, which will be kind of interesting because if you buy an Amazon Echo and you want to do voice, you're playing it through a little tin can on your kitchen bench, not, not through, your, through your Sonos. And you know, before we started the call, uh, both Lily and I were chatting about 
you know how awesome it is now from the sonar from the spotify app you can just beam that to your speakers in your house so so we're starting to get to this next phase where the big vendors i mean it's always been frustrating because you've got to pick pick a vendor and go everything down that way but we are seeing a bit of interoperability and the winners in the space starting to play together nicely and seeing these beautiful experiences where thing actually works so you know probably my second thing behind airpods for the coolest bit of tech would be that spotify sonos integration that's really been a game changer how about you lillian have you got any cool toys hmm not apart from AirPods, not really any new ones. I'm actually like a crazy minimalist and don't like um, having too many new things. So my all the current kind of phone, that MacBook kind of devices I have are just like it's funny. It's like the technology is finally caught up to everything I need, and I kind of have no like software hardware wise. Ninety seven percent there in terms of serving my life. So um, no, I'm actually one of the things I'm doing at the moment though is going back and cleaning up all the way that I've set up my tech like around like passwords one password for team teams and stuff and um with airport having it at home and at work so I don't have to worry about um about that and and just kind of doing that side of things like the maintenance and the setup and um making sure that that my main master password is somewhere that's split in two pieces of paper that people I trust have in case I get hit by a bus and you know things that um I've just never got around to so it's kind of that Hey, I'll say that again. That was awesome. Was that? <laughs> well, if you've got, you know, for my main master password um that unlocks one password in my computer and stuff, then which where everything else is and having that password written down on a piece of paper that's been split in half and given to two people who aren't good friends. That's that's really <laughs> that's a really good uh, good approach because so, we've got so, so much tied up. So right? What happens if you're travelling with one of them? Are they because they can't be really close friends because you might be on a plane with them and a, <laughs> yeah. A, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that's true. Yeah, you can. And, and have you have you have you gone for the new MacBook yet? Well, I, yeah, I was an early adopter to the new MacBook, so I have the one from 2015, and I just love it so much. Like, I'll probably get the next one when it comes out uh, in 2017, and, but it's just, so the, the MacBook and the, um, the 7 Plus, oh, is it, yeah, 7 Plus phone are just, they're just the most amazing devices. So there's nothing that, they, that I don't want to do that I can't do. That's good. Except plug them into a screen. No, I don't like using big screens. It's another. It's another item I'd have to own. It's like not having a car. I just, I don't. I don't like. <laughs> I don't like all the things. That's, that's, but I want the things they have to be awesome, and just not many of them. And what else is going on in your world, Lillian, in terms of uh, Figure NZ and other things? You've been at Webstock recently. Yeah. So, so with Figure NZ, so we this this Friday. At one fifty-seven PM will be five years exactly from when I had the idea for Figure NZ, and um, we we kind of have some big goals for twenty twenty-two, um, and so it's kind of like the halfway mark, which is just like, it's kind of a special time for me. Like I have a um, a loose plan that I'm happy to change that I intend to to lead Figure NZ for another five years, and then to once it's become undeniable into the operational stage where everyone that has data publishes with us, everyone that wants data just knows to use us and it just becomes kind of boring and very, very useful, um, then bring someone else in to lead it. And so um, so that's it's kind of an interesting time for me. So phasing-wise, 
we've got so much of like the the platform, the way we process data, the way we build relationship models between the data sets. So, for example, Waipokoro is a small town in Central Hawke's Bay, which is in Hawke's Bay, which is in the North Island, which is in New Zealand. Usually when you're looking at any kind of public data sets or any data sets really, the relationships between things like that aren't embedded in how you can um, connect and find information. And so we've been building lots of stuff that's behind the scenes that you can't, that's not really apparent yet when you're just looking at figure.nz that will be surfacing some some cool ways of being able to find data because it it's interesting there's um, a lot of people when they're looking at data and how to display it better to start with the data rather than starting with how people think and um, I didn't start this you know thinking about data I was like oh you know it's a language that holds stories that people want to be able to use to understand the world around them and most people don't know that um, you know different government agencies exist that the names of what the names of data sets are and so they don't know what to search for from that level so we're making it easy um, from the other side and so so that kind of the tech side of things the team is amazing and the, the tech and the product and the data side and so phase-wise, I'm now finding we're, we're starting to move into the culture shift. And so we think that what we're doing, you know, is, is as big as um, behavior change is something like we didn't used to recycle and now we recycle and, you know, drink driving and, and all that, those kind of big societal shifts that have happened in our life. And they didn't happen by accident, right? They happened because they were planned and they took 15 or 20 years. There were very few channels to share um, the, the kind of behavior changes. And we like so we're the world that we're going to be um, shifting the culture of is right now people don't use numbers to, in their thinking when they're talking and understanding the world around them. And we'll, we'll move to a world where that is normal to just be like, what are the figures on that? And um, so starting to like really blow out the walls of how we do that we're, we're going to be starting an online show that's called Go Figure that we've partnered with Fairfax and some other awesome partners that are supporting us to do this and just making numbers really really fun and um, and so it's it's almost like at the, the heart of what tech exists for for me it, it exists to enable and to serve so that you can actually get on and do the stuff that you really care about and help um, serve up information to people in the ways that is useful so some of the stuff that just sounds so simple but that has been kind of hard to do or that most people can't do is slicing a lot of data differently when you think about New Zealand so I've been doing a lot of stuff on place and um, it's going right so we've got you know 14 cities in our in our country things that we just don't even know we don't even think about and um, one of the most interesting things on place for me is that there's 126 settlements in New Zealand where there is a thousand or fewer people and um, so that's 450,000 so people so 10% of our population live in places where there are settlements under a thousand and usually we just ignore them but if you think about if you start thinking about and slicing the country in different ways like that you suddenly think oh we probably shouldn't be ignoring um, 10% of our country when we're coming to do our you know marketing or messaging or you know services or the way we do things and of those 126, uh, 44 of them are declining, which is, you know, you start looking at other ways of, um, if we only think of the main couple of towns that we know are declining, we don't think it's a big problem. When you when you slice it in a different way, it's like, oh, that's a lot of people um, that are dealing with, with that. So I, I think, but it is actually in total only, there's 132,000 people in our population that live in communities that are in declining populations. So, um, but it's, yeah, I don't know, we're just, so... The, being able to finally kind of move past just the the pulling together of all the, the tech and creating smart systems and actually thinking differently and the implications of that is just like crazy delightful for me. That's cool. 
Now, you had a note about New Zealand tech jobs. Oh, that wasn't my note. Oh. No, I was, uh, was WebSock. I think we covered that. Okay. Uh, we're, we're, we're all, we've covered ev- have we covered everything, guys? I could just do a very quick thing on WebStock. Yes, yeah, which that was, would be good. Um, so just the best conference ever uh, held in Wellington, and it was on last Thursday and Friday. And most of the speakers uh, international with quite um, like really diverse kind of different things. So um, there was a woman that came who designed space, uh, space suits for NASA and talked through how they do that. And our very own Sasha Judd did a talk. Um, she was the New Zealand representative, which was amazing. And um, what kind of... There's, I think, uh, from what I understand, there's always an unofficial kind of theme that just ends up emerging through the conference. And what really struck me this time is everyone touched on how, you know, the tech sector, uh, the internet, uh, devices and things, they're meant to be for everyone. The promise was always that the internet is for everyone. And there's been a recognition that, and as a tech sector, we're not actually doing a good job of that yet. We don't, as we design things, we're not, you know, collectively, we're not always looking at um, the performance as it, um, and what it means for those that, that can't afford, you know, high bandwidth um, internet or, that can't afford great devices, and so maybe we don't always make shouldn't always make the shiniest thing. We should make the thing that's going to work for more people. And it kind of was especially brought to light given the current climate of things that are happening in the US, and just people realizing that there's just so much kind of inequality and um, privilege and um, lack of access for some people. And it just yeah, it's almost like we're growing up. Um, you think of you know the first decade of using the internet where you just all get so excited for our own use and it's almost I just had a um, an analogy it's like you know turning up somewhere jumping out of the car to go and look at the view and then realizing you didn't stop to 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 help the other people out that needed help Mm. and and so it's almost like we're going oh whoops (laughs) sorry a little bit selfish for a moment um yep should have probably paused to to let you come out too and and just taken my my time to do that so so that was really um really heartening actually to see that as a really big theme yeah, I've got um, – hoping we'll have uh, Thomas Bryan from uh, Blind Foundation coming on uh, New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, reasonably soon. Um, he mentioned to me recently he's off to a, a conference in the US that's uh, uh, focused on, on technology for those that have um, – you know, limited in, in sight and so on. So it'll be interesting to see what, what perspectives yeah, and, and what, what things he learns over there. So we, um, with Figure NZ, we spent a bunch of time um, making sure that all of our charts and maps are usable for, accessible for people with different types of colour blindness. And it took, it took ages, right? Yeah. Like um, Nat Dudley, our head of design, spent a long time making sure and running it through different filters to make sure it worked. And at the end of it, we we're like, oh, we should totally share what we've done and then um, so that everyone else can you know do the same thing. And then one of the developers said, oh, but imagine if the mapping technology that we'd used had embedded that at the start and so that, you, you know, we, so that everyone didn't have to think about yeah. it. And I was suddenly like, oh, you're so right. Yeah. Like we're kind of putting all these patches on at the usability layer, but what if we were building that into the heart of the, the tech that we're building? Um, and one other thing that we've done actually is that we've released finally, we've, we were, um, we've been wanting to do this for ages, all of our documentation on how we operate as a team and the, like everything. And so that's all now available for people at tohu.figure.nz, so T-O-H-U dot figure.nz. And it's just our way of saying this is how we operate. If there are things um, that we do and, you know, um, team culture charter stuff that we've written that's useful for others, then just grab it, use it. There's too much to do in the world to, to bother duplicating effort. That's really good. Anything else from your end, Rod? Um, well, that, that was 
pretty impressive hearing all of that stuff. So this is the last thing that's kind of trivial is I've been sort of always struggled with man systems. How do you carry your cards around? So I, I've been I've been using uh, the Secret Wallet, which was an RFID wallet with a very cool ejector card function. Um, but I'd kind of tied that one out. And in my Instagram feed, I saw a new thing called uh, the Ridge. So I now have a titanium um, elasticated sort of card thing, which I've got 10 cards packed in, which I'm experimenting with this week. It's um, best thing is it's it is titanium, so whatever is titanium is cool. So I had to have it, um, but I, I haven't I haven't quite wired how to eject my cards. Though there is a video showing you how to do it, so I've got to practice it. So I am impressive when I go and get my bacon and eggs in the morning. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Well, we'll save for another day the uh, the discussion of whether whether we should be uh, protecting all our uh, credit cards. Um, in uh, Faraday cages in our pockets or what you oh know. I just can't wait to get rid of them all what? surely right carrying around cards is just well it can't be can't be too far away <laughs> but um, you know we've we, I think things things don't move at the same pace everywhere in the world and uh, yeah but eventually we'll get there well that's good stuff well really great to catch up with both of you uh, do appreciate the time that you've set aside and um, thank you to our listeners too for uh uh, for the same thing, setting aside time to uh, to to hear from us. Um, now, Lillian, where do we track you down online? If people are interested in uh, in keeping up with you. You're on Twitter. I am, uh, which is at, at Graceful Lillian, and at Figure.nz, all of our contact details are on the um, the team page. But I've also recently joined Facebook. Kind of freaks me out. Baby steps, um, but but I'm I can be reached there as well, and that's where I'm tending to to post a bit more kind of videos about what we're actually doing and and able to engage people on some of the content. That's great. And Rod, are you on Facebook? No, but I'm kind of kind of sad <laughs> that Lillian's broken ranks. I know, but <laughs> I'm not on not I'm on not on LinkedIn or anything. Still, it's just Twitter and now Facebook. Uh, LinkedIn's awful. I'm uh, I'm still Twitter at uh, Rod Drury, and I'm kind of. It's interesting though. I've sort of after all of the stuff over the last six months, Twitter's kind of hard now, and uh, so tiring. And um, so I'm do- just doing some personal stuff on Instagram, which I quite like. That photo format's quite nice. So it feels like there's a nice uh, community in there, which I'm enjoying. And um, but Twitter's always good sport. It's just that it's so completely dominated with politics at the moment, but still scan it every day. Yep, um, I can be tracked down on uh, on on Twitter as well, which is my. Uh, well, I'm between Twitter now and and uh, and Facebook. So um, Facebook's where we, we posted up last week. We did a, uh, a Facebook live of the New Zealand Tech podcast. We did the whole episode there. We'll probably do some more of those again. Um, it was going to be a little bit complicated to uh, uh, to set that up when I realised a few minutes before the show that Rod was um, was coming in over Skype. Um, but we, we will do that. Uh, we will do that again. Um, and last week we started our little uh, giveaway to celebrate uh, New Zealand Tech Podcast hitting uh, our six year anniversary and over a million downloads. Uh, so we're still running that. And uh, if you anyone's interested in uh, great prizes from Vodafone, Spark, Samsung, uh, Logitech, and Norton. Then, if you just jump across to paulspain.com and, and sign up for my updates there, then you can pick which of those you'd like you'd like to be in the draw for. Well, that's us for another week. So, thank you again, everybody, for listening in. Uh, thank you, Lillian and uh, and Rod. It's been a great thank uh, you. great time hanging out. Thank you. 
the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT.